grab your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And we're going to look at a single verse. Now, hopefully you all know by now, uh, just because the passage is short, that doesn't mean the sermon is short. So don't, don't get ahead of yourself there. Acts chapter 2. And we want to look at verse 42. And if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word. Luke, the evangelist, writes, Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Let's go Lord in prayer. Father, I ask, as we do every time we gather, regardless of, of our context, regardless of our setting, that you would open up our eyes that we would see your glory, our hearts that we would receive your word, our mind that we would understand the gospel, our ears that we would hear and heed the truth, our mouth that we would speak the hope that we have in Jesus to one another in love and to ourselves and to this lost and dying world around us. Lord, we ask that you would open our hands and our feet that we would go in obedience to Jesus Christ. Lord, this is your work. May we become the church that you would have us to be for your kingdom and for your glory. May I decrease so that you can increase. Name your son, we pray. Amen. May be seated. Like many of his predecessors, former President George W. Bush, after he retired from the White House, decided to pick up painting. You can buy books with many of his uh, artwork in it dedicated to soldiers or to immigrants or other uh, subjects. But whenever he started this venture of painting, he, he hired an art instructor to come to visit with him and help him uh, with, with this new hobby of his. And, and, and she asked him, Mr. President, what is it that you're wanting to learn the most? What is the one thing you're wanting to get out of this? And he said, well, I want to master colors. So what I want you to do is I want you to go out to the store, buy every color of paint you can find, and together I want to learn to become a master of colors. So his instructor went out to the store and bought four colors, red, blue, yellow, and white. She explained to him that if you can master these four colors, you can master all the colors. The key to art isn't that you can have access to everything, but that you are an expert with just four colors. And with these four, you can make everything else. The church really is no different. What we have here in this passage is that if we can master these four truths, these four principles of the local church, Everything else will fall into place. Let's look at the first one laid out here in verse 42, and that is the truth. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, if, if we could hop into a time machine, I'm willing to bet there's a number of places we would like to go visit, a number of timelines we'd like to mess up. One would be, I'd like to pet a dinosaur. I'm just going to be honest with you. I like the Jurassic Park movies. I want to go see a bronchiosaurus, which I don't know if they exist or not, uh, because I think they made that up for the movies. And I like to pet them. The plant-eating ones, I'm not going to risk you know, the other ones, you know, some, some uh, uh, raptor coming after me or something like that. But I want to pet a dinosaur just to say I did it. Uh, another thing I would like to do, speaking of dinosaurs, I'd like to deal with that serpent in the garden. Just wring his neck, as we said in the country, right? Solve that problem, right? 
And then, and then another thing I'd like to do, and I, I think you would too, is, is I would like to sit at the feet of the apostles. Amen. Wouldn't you love to hear the stories that Peter would tell about Jesus? And he would just be eloquently telling us the story. And then he would say, oh, and then this is the part where I put my foot in my mouth. Wouldn't you like to hear that story, right? Wouldn't you like to, to be there in Rome when they received that letter from, from Paul and, and read that magnum opus for the first time? Wouldn't you like to see Philemon's face when his runaway slave shows up and he says, by the way, uh, I met a dude named Paul. Wouldn't you like to be there, right? When, when in Acts, when, when Paul appointed elders and he said his goodbye in Ephesus, wouldn't you like to just sit at the feet of the apostles and hear them? Well, in many ways, you, you already can. What we call the New Testament is the teaching of the apostles. It's why throughout church history, we have called the Old Testament the writings of the prophets and the New Testament the writing of the apostles. So here what we have then is that the local church, the very first church, they gather and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. And we have those teachings in the New Testament. But what specifically did they teach? Could we summarize it in, in, in a single sentence? Could we summarize it in a single teaching? I think we can in fact, if, if you knew nothing else of the New Testament, if you knew nothing else of the book of Acts, we have enough right here in chapter 2 to know precisely what the teaching of the apostles were. And in a word, it was the gospel. In fact, notice what happens here. In chapter 1, Jesus ascends. Chapter 2, the Spirit descends and the church is planted. Peter stands up and preaches the first evangelical sermon. And you'll notice the climax here, right? He, he, this is the point where he, he, he points out to his congregation, Jesus has come, Jesus has been crucified, Jesus has been risen, and Jesus shall return. Go back to verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do to be saved? Notice here that the gospel presentation is an objective truth found within the story that Jesus has come. He has died for the forgiveness of sins. And the response is what matters here. The truth must be received. Belief must lead to repentance. That's his point going on to verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice there he is pointing out that, that what you have witnessed among us in receiving the Spirit can be yours upon the belief of the story Christ has come and been crucified, risen from the dead, and upon your repentance of receiving that truth that as Christ has died, so you die. As Christ has been risen, so shall you be raised spiritually and physically. And then in that context, we get the church was planted and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Notice that the central core of the apostles' teaching is the preaching and the truth of the gospel. One of the fundamental errors of the church that I see, particularly the modern church, is we can be distracted by lesser things. Not that they are not important things, but they are lesser things. There are plenty of things that can compete for our attention, 
policies and politics, economics, justice, society, culture wars, entertainment, worship styles, preaching styles, the convention, and what other churches are doing, change, and a host of other things. And behind all of that is, well, we can presume the gospel so that we can address these other issues, whatever those other issues might become. And as a result, we simply presume that we all believe the gospel. We presume that we're all shaped by the gospel. We just simply presume the gospel rather than making the gospel the focus of everything we are and everything we do. The truth of the teaching of the apostles, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to warn you, when you presume the gospel, you will eventually ignore the gospel. And when you start to ignore the gospel, you will then forsake the gospel. And when the church forsakes the gospel, she will inevitably replace the gospel. There are plenty of churches around this neighborhood and East Frankfurt's neighborhood and everywhere else you go. They are passionate about many things. They are not passionate or founded upon the truth of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And in in such a case, they cease to be the church. Right here, Luke wants us to see that what defined the church was its devotion to the truth of Jesus Christ. Notice, secondly, the fellowship. The fellowship. A few weeks ago, we, we hosted our, 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 our trunk or treat. We, this is our ninth year doing it, uh, at least the way we've been doing it these last nine years. We've done it nine years in a row. You started uh, the year before uh, my family and I came. And uh, uh, inevitably, someone will come up, and, and this happened this last year, and said, uh, you the preacher? Yeah. And whenever someone says you're the preacher, you have no idea what's going to follow after that, right? It could be good. It could be cray-cray, you know, so crazy it's worthy of the History Channel. And so this guy, you the preacher? Yeah, I'm the preacher. And he says, look, look, I'm convinced you don't need to be, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Have you ever heard that? I know you've heard that. I've heard it at least 10,000 times, which means every single one of us heard at least 1,000 times. I don't need to go to no church to be a Christian, to love Jesus, believe God. And we hear this all the time. Now, let me just tell you two things about that. First of all, you can be a Christian without the local church. Can I prove it to you? Right now, right now, as we sit here comfortably in this warm sanctuary, there are Christians in Iran, isolated from anyone and everyone, being tortured for the cause of Christ, who have no access to the local church. They can be a Christian without the local church. Right now, in this city, are people who are caretakers of loved ones who are dying of Alzheimer's who cannot be part actively of a local church. You can be a Christian without the local church. Can I tell you a second truth? You cannot be a Christian without the local church. You can't. You cannot be a Christian without the local church. I can prove that to you as well. Whatever it is you are most passionate about, It could be sports, it could be hobbies, crafts, arts, entertainment, music, friends, family, relationships, whatever it might be. Whatever you are most passionate about, you will find people who share that passion with you and you will spend time with them in that passion. Think about it. When we first met eight years ago next month, 
The Sunday before Christmas, I was an interim pastor at the time, snuck away for two Sundays, used Christmas as an excuse, and uh, we, were, we were dirt poor. We were, we were dirt poor. And so I owned one winter coat. And that one winter coat was a gift, and it just so happened to have a Louisville Cardinal emblem right there in, in the corner pocket, right? Right there. It was small. wasn't a big deal. I didn't show up dressed like Rick Pitino, right? didn't do any of that. What I had was one coat to keep me warm. It had been snowing all week, right? It was cold outside. I needed a coat. And I knew where we were coming to. It's Frankfurt. Y'all a bunch of weirdos. By that, I mean you're a bunch of Kentucky fans. And so, so I was a little nervous about that. I thought, it's not a good first impression to be coming up saying, yo, L's up, yo. Right? I didn't think that was going to be wise. First impressions are important. The problem is I couldn't hide that little bird emblem. So word got around. This, this search committee brought a Louisville fan, right? How awful is that? Now, think about when it comes to sports, we, we take our fandom and we want to share it with other people. So whenever Louisville is the first Kentucky team with a seven-win season in football and the other team thought, oh, we're better than you, L's down, all that sort of stuff, what do I do? I'm texting all my Louisville buddies, how about them cards? How about them cards, right? My boss over at the Capitol is a Wolfpack fan. I have not spoken to him about that game yesterday because he's my boss. But right, but everyone else were like, hey, look, Louisville's great. Isn't it great? Let's talk about the team. When I go give blood platelets tomorrow, the guy there, he, 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 he's a big Louisville fan. We're going to talk about the good old days, 2013, the year did happen. And we're going to talk about what's happening now, right? We're Louisville fans. We want to hang out together. We also love to tease the other side. I've already done it today. I mean, Louisville may not be... Easy, it may not be easy to be a Louisville fan, but at least we don't have John Calipari as a coach. Am I right? Up top. Up top. Anyone? No. Okay. So, so right, the, the sports is, is, is we don't sit quietly and in our man cave thinking this is for me and only me. This is something that has to be shared. Your art, your crafts, your work, your family, you're going to share it either at least virtually, preferably physically. Whenever someone says... I can believe in God and not go to the church. They reveal what they are not passionate about. If you are passionate about Christ, you will be passionate. You will be devoted to the fellowship. That is all that we we, we see here. God created us both as individuals and for relationships. In Genesis 2, God created man and, 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 and told him to leave Uh, mother and father, and two individuals will become one flesh. And out of that union will come multiplicity. The two become one, the one become many. We were created for communion. We were created for community, for relationships. After all, Jesus preached the kingdom of God. And that kingdom implies citizens of the king. If you love Jesus, you are part of the kingdom. And the local church is the kingdom of God manifested. They were devoted not just to the truth, but to each other. Thirdly, they were devoted to worship. You see there in verse 42, this this phrase, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. Now, this, everyone essentially agrees that this is a reference to the Lord's Supper. And in this passage, actually, we have reference to both ordinances of the local church. We saw earlier when, when Peter exhorts them to, to uh, believe 
and be baptized, verse, verse uh, 41. And uh, we see later that they were adding to those who were uh, saved, those who, who were being baptized. So in this passage, we have a reference to both ordinances. Now, baptism is the communal celebration of regeneration and the adoption of new brothers and sisters in Christ who are joining the family of God. Baptism then draws us to consider as an act of worship the truth of the gospel shared in fellowship. Communion, likewise, is the communal remembrance of Christ's finished work upon the cross. Thus, it draws us to meditate upon the gospel in the context of worship. I want you to think about this. Where do we practice the ordinances? In the dorm with the boys? No. In deacon's meeting? No. In Sunday school? No. Over Thanksgiving dinner? No. Halftime during next week's Governor's Cup? No. We practice and celebrate the ordinances in the context of worship. For many Americans, we have devoted ourselves not to worship, but to consumerism, to a product, or to a service. We see the church as something that can give me something, Because we see the church as something you can buy into, something you can purchase, something you can consume. This is what I mean when I say as Christians, as American Christians, we're oftentimes more American than we are Christian. Babylon B has a great headline. I'm not going to get it right from years ago. It was something like uh, Iranian Christian family travel 3,000 miles to find the perfect church they love. Their point is, is that if you're an Iranian Christian, You will worship with Christians wherever you can find Christians. But what we do on the American side is we shop for worship. We shop for a church. And we shop based off of music styles, pews versus chairs, traditional sanctuary versus a life center or a gym, translation of the Bible, length of the servant, average age of members, and the list can go on. And what concerns me is that every church right now across our country Every pastor can stand up and say, within a short amount of time, measured by days, weeks, months, or years, there will be people in this church and every church across the board who will find another congregation simply for reasons not found in the Bible. The Bible does not address musical styles. There are no pianos, guitars, organs, or or harmonicae in the Bible. Yet somehow the church gathers to worship. There is no exhortation, a length of a sermon, thankfully, right? And yet somehow the church can find a way to gather. There is no church calendar, no no specific traditions we have to have. But yet somehow this church can seem to gather. Why? Because they were passionate most, not about the trinkets, but about the Savior. And what brought them together was the unified worship of their Redeemer. For without Him, they were nothing and nobody. Without him, they remained broken. They were devoted to worship. When they gathered, only Jesus was on their mind. Their passion was Jesus. They wanted to conform to Jesus. They wanted to extol Jesus. There are many excuses we can make for why we can forsake the assembling of ourselves as believers. But we need only one reason for why we should gather with each other in worship. And that reason is Jesus. 
Fourth and final thing we see here in the text is discipleship. Notice the language they are devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, I think there's two ways to read this, and then they're both related. One is to see that phrase as liturgical. Notice it's not to prayer, but to the prayers. Remember, these are uh, uh, good old Jewish boys and girls, right? They grew up in the Jewish system, and their understanding of worship is shaped by uh, Judaism. But now now they're seeing Christ as their Messiah. So that's going to transform some things, but they still have that Jewish background. So liturgy is part of, of, of the narrative. So they would go to the synagogue on Saturday, but on Sunday morning, the day of Christ risen from the dead, before they go into work, they would gather together, and they will worship the Savior, and they would participate in what we have here liturgically as the prayers. Now, I have nothing against uh, liturgy. In fact, I would love it if Baptist churches and our Baptist church did confessions and catechisms, but we'd have to vote on that. Anyway, so, so, so I do think that is one possibility. However, the point of liturgy, when the church participates in something, it is to teach the congregation to make this a regular habit. It is why we worship, so that worship becomes a discipline. It's why we read scripture, so that scripture becomes a discipline. It's why we have the application of scripture, so that application becomes a discipline. It's why we have prayer, so that prayer can be a discipline of every believer. And so too, I see here a hint, a clear hint that the early church was made up of disciples. Every person, every member saw themselves first and foremost as disciples of Jesus. Those who their highest aim in life was to conform to the image of the Son of God. Nothing else mattered. There are important things in life, but the most important thing rooted in the truth of the gospel, brought about by the fellowship of believers, by which we gather for worship, is the hope that through discipleship we become more like him. We become more like Jesus. And you cannot be a disciple without discipline. Disciplined disciples is the secret. Here is a reference to prayer. We can add to that the truth of, of, of the Bible, to meditate upon words of God. After all, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. The discipline of worship, the discipline of fellowship, all these are disciplines. Think about it. You and I know that to be healthy, it requires great discipline. It means that when you go to the old Charlie's in Georgetown, like I've had to do the last few weeks to eat with my great uncle, they sell a combined blackberry uh, 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 cobbler with a peach cobbler, right? You know this? You go to old Charlie's, oh, uh, man, it is just, you don't have to choose between them. You get both at the same time to the glory of God, right? And if you're disciplined in your eating, you'll say, thanks, but no thanks. You can also get ice cream on it for an extra dollar in case you're interested in that sort of thing, right? It's dinner time. Forgive me, right? But, but, but if you want to be healthy, you have to be disciplined to exercise and watch what you eat and all that. So too, if you want to be a disciple, you have to be disciplined. Notice what we have here are disciplined believers. Discipleship is the daily journey that will lead us to become like Christ. Be dedicated then to worship. Be faithful then to the fellowship. Be submissive to the truth of the gospel in your lives. Are you a disciple? I want you to notice that we have assumed a few things about this passage. We've referenced it several times, but we just haven't really addressed it. There are two words that we need to look at before we pray. The first is the first word in your text. I'm willing to bet it's the same in your translation as mine. 
It is the word they. This is the question of who. Who are they? When Luke says they dedicated themselves, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, who are they? I think the answer is quite obvious, isn't it? It is a reference to the church as a whole. They were devoted to the truth. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to worship. They were devoted to discipleship. They all were. It wasn't only a few, the deacons, the leadership, seminary graduates, the convention. No, each and every member, each and every person who called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, they were devoted to these things. Not super Christians, not new Christians, not those other Christians. They. In the South, we'd say all y'all. They were devoted. The second word is equally important. It's the verb. It's the what. Devoted. The word devoted carries the idea of devotion, consistency, steadfastness, even perseverance. The idea is that they, they are focused on one thing, driven for that one thing. They were devoted. What that means is, is not that they liked the truth or that they respected the fellowship or that they tolerated worship or they tried discipleship. Rather, it was a church made up of believers who were devoted to it, passionate about it, defined by it. Well, I mentioned President Bush earlier on. W, as we call him. When he first met his art instructor, he said to her, I believe deep down inside of me there is a Rembrandt waiting to come out, waiting to be discovered. It was her job to let him out. Now you can look at W's artwork to decide whether or not he's the next Rembrandt. But it was in that context that she went to get those four colors. All it took was four colors to bring out the Rembrandts. Church, I believe the Spirit of God dwells with this people. I believe the power of God is well within the grasp of this people. I believe our future is bright. But it will take... These four foundational truths. And I believe that if we are devoted to them, God will do a work in our midst unlike anything we've seen in over 60 years as a church. And together, not East Frankfurt Baptist Church and Trinity as well, but together as the gospel, as the church of Jesus Christ founded upon the gospel. I believe we will see a masterpiece painted only by God himself in our community. But we've got to get these basics right moving forward. So I know we're not going to have a time of invitation the way we normally do. We'll have a time of communion because we are devoted to worship and fellowship. But I'm going to ask that if, if you are here and you've been playing church, if you've just shown up because you want to be here for the last service to say that you were there, or if you were here simply because you had no other excuse or you were dragged to be here, I'm going to ask you today 
that you will devote your life for the, every breath you take, every step you take, every day you live, you will devote yourself to the truth of the gospel, the fellowship of believers, the worship of the church, and the discipleship to become like Christ. Will you devote yourself? And if you are here and you've never started that journey by embracing Christ, I ask of you to come to the Savior of your soul who has died in your place and, and has, is the forgiver of your sins. I'm going to ask you to come and you join us to start this journey together. We get these four right. Watch God will do. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And as we do, I'm going to hand it over to Jordan for communion. Let's pray. Our Father, I ask that you would be so kind.